Good morning. Yesterday, as you know, was Veterans Day. So I wanted to take a moment and have all of the vets in this room stand up so we can recognize you. So could the vets please stand? Thank you. John 15, 13 says, Greater love has none, no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You may have not laid down your lives, but to serve means that you are willing to, and so we are thankful for that. And we see that humility, that self-sacrifice that, that you have exemplified for our sake, so thank you. And I just wanted to say a word of, of thank you for another reason. Um, you are so generous to us. Um, and we really appreciate the support that you have shown us, the gifts that you have given us over the last month. And we certainly don't deserve it, but we are grateful. And we know that we're loved. It's an encouragement to us, huge encouragement. And just more confirmation from God that he has brought us here. So thank you for that support, for those gifts. Um, you're a wonderful church, and we're so blessed to be here. So, Mark, Mark 4, verses 1 through 20, that's where we are today. We come to the second Markan sandwich. So as we talked about last week, we're the first sandwich. A sandwich, as Mark writes, is when there's a story that is suddenly interrupted by another story or an idea, and then you come back to that story and it concludes. So this is our second sandwich today in verses 1 through 20. And it's a parable, uh, the very famous parable of the sower and the various types of seed. But I've got to tell you, this is probably one of the most misunderstood and misrepresented of Jesus' parables. Uh, people take this in all kinds of different directions. Um, so today I hope to bring a little bit of clarity to it, and I strongly encourage you today, listen, listen, pay attention well, because I want to show you that this parable is about listening, and listening is the razor that divides insiders from outsiders, listening. All right, let me read it, Mark 4, verses 1 through 20. Again, he began to teach them beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path. And the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell onto good soil and produced grain, growing up 
and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, that they may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the world, immediately they fall away. And others are ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Let's pray. Oh God, how I pray that you would give us ears to hear. To hear as if our life depends on it. As if these words are more valuable than gold. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, a mind that understands. And change our hearts because of your word. God, use my words to sow seed. And I pray it would be received with joy. In Christ's name I pray, amen. So there are certain areas around the Sea of Galilee where the, the sea, or certain areas around Capernaum in the Sea of Galilee, Galilee where the, the shore side comes gently down to the water. And so there's actually a number of Israeli scientists have done, who have done studies uh, to see what the acoustics would be like there. And they determined that a couple yards out from the shoreline, if you go out into the water effortlessly, without hardly raising your voice, you can speak easily to thousands of people. It's actually quite incredible. So that's where Jesus is. He's in the water, speaking to potentially thousands of people there listening to him. And as we've progressed through Mark, we've often read about Jesus teaching the crowds. And sometimes we've been given these little nuggets about what he's teaching, but, but only a couple lines, very little information or very little content about his teaching because Mark is wanting us to see the person of Jesus before telling us what the content of his teaching is. It's about the who before it is about the what. But now, finally, we get to hear some of Jesus' teaching, what the content of the teaching is. It's from the boat that he's delivering the parable. And and the parable is Jesus' preferred method of teaching the crowds. And so far in Mark, we have had a number of parables, but they've been two to three lines at most. And so now we get one that is much longer, much more expanded. 
And, God, and this, like I said, this is Jesus' favorite way of teaching the crowds. He's an expert at it, doing it in an engaging way, in a way that everybody can relate to. And the Gospels, all four Gospels, we find 60 different parables. So this is how Jesus speaks to the crowds. So note, they are relatable, but they are not easily understandable. You would say, in fact, that Jesus' messages are not seeker-friendly. They're tough. Some people say these are hard sayings, and they leave him. And you'll see that be emphasized in today's passage. So parable. I briefly described what a parable was a couple weeks ago, but um, let's have a little more of a robust definition of what a parable is. A parable is when you take something, often from everyday uh, understandable things, you take something and you lay it aside or next to something else to bring clarity to that greater thing. So parables have these allegorical qualities, meaning they are trying to bring They're trying to illuminate a greater reality, a transcendent reality, a reality greater than what the parable is talking about directly. But here is the thing about parables, the catch. You can only understand a parable from within. Or in other words, you cannot understand a parable without the person who is telling the parable. So it is only, un, only possible to understand Jesus' parables in relationship to Jesus. Otherwise, they're nonsensical. And Jesus' parables are not just about wisdom and good advice like many of the secular parables are. His are about the good news. Jesus' parables are, are meant to change you. They're to bring you into fellowship with Jesus. So, Let's look at verse 3, the first word of our parable. What is it? Listen. It is a command. And you find this command to listen ten times in chapter 4. Listen conveys a pressing urgency and an immediacy. Listen. And listen harkens back to one of the most fundamental concepts in Judaism, the Shema from Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So listening, hearing has always been at the center of what it means to know God, of, of what it means to have a relationship with God. It is not just listen and hear, but it's listen, heed, Receive the word you are about to hear and be engaged by it. Let it alter you. Let it change you and shape you and your behavior and your identity. By By listening, this word of God is meant to enter you and change you the way that a seed enters the soil and changes it. So let's look at that parable again, verses 3 through 8. Listen. Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, Some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. 
Other seed fell among thorns, and thorns grew up and choked it and yielded no grain. And other seed fell onto good soil and produced grain, growing up, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold, sixtyfold, a hundredfold. Now, many of those listening to Jesus' words were farmers. But even in ancient Palestine, farming was a fairly sophisticated practice. Very few farmers would have been foolish enough to be throwing seeds into the rocks and into the weeds and on the path. Yet the sower in Jesus' parable seems to be cast with just reckless abandon. And so there's been this historic argument that has arisen that Jesus didn't understand farming very well. Either that he was, or he was a pretty poor farmer. But part of the point is that the seed is cast everywhere. And the people that made this argument that Jesus wasn't a good farmer, they didn't understand the parable. Because the farmer is so intent on harvest that he throws seed in every conceivable part of the field, hoping that good soil might be found somewhere. He is about the harvest. And sowing in in such a way, in some places, will inevitably yield a poor harvest with seed plucked up by birds and young plants getting scorched and other plants growing for a time, only to be strangled out by the surrounding weeds. And so it seems like a rather discouraging yield. But then the seed that falls on good soil. Now a fold, a fold, I I wasn't really familiar with what a fold is, a fold of return in harvest. So if you sow five pounds of seed... A tenfold harvest will yield 50 pounds of grain. Okay? It's a multiplier. Researchers have concluded that an average harvest in Palestine is about three to fourfold, with a big abundant one, one to celebrate, being sevenfold. So a harvest of a hundredfold, even thirtyfold, would be unquestionably an act of God. And these are astounding results, despite the seemingly haphazard beginnings that they were sown in. So this parable is not primarily about human psychology or attitudes. It's not primarily about being a good disciple or a bad disciple. It's not, it is about the historic inbreaking of the kingdom of God. And the inbreaking of the kingdom of God, the beachhead for the inbreaking of the kingdom of God are your ears. The harvest has nothing to do with the work of human hands, but everything to do with the sovereign power of our God. God is working in these hidden and unobservable ways through Christ and His gospel, producing a yield that is completely disproportionate to human work. What seemed to be foolish and reckless abandon in sowing is vindicated by an abundance of harvest. So just as it is in Jesus' ministry, he is sowing through his teaching and healing among the crowds. He is sowing to the Pharisees that oppose him and want to see him killed. He is sowing to his disciples and followers that often misunderstand him and often hinder him without realizing it, and some will later abandon him, and one will ultimately betray him. But it does not matter. Christ will sow. 
He will sow prolifically everywhere, even among the rocks and thorns in Galilee. But good soil will be found. A harvest without compare will be realized. And the whole parable is buttressed by one command. One imperative. Listen. See it again in verse 9. And he said, He who has ears, let him hear. Now you can't see it in English, but the Greek makes it incredibly plain for you to see that the same root word bookends the parable. It's on either side. Akou. Listen. Hear. It's not about what you can make of yourself. It's about letting the sower, Jesus, and the seed, the word of Christ, take roots to affect change, to produce a harvest that's beyond what is natural, that is supernatural. So when the word of God is presented, the work for you is to listen. Again, the inbreaking of the kingdom of God happens through your ears. And then we arrive at verse 10, and the parable and explanation is suddenly interrupted by some very challenging words. And so we're at the middle of the sandwich, and the middle of this sandwich can be very off-putting, in fact, and, and we'll talk about that. So let's look at verse 10. He was alone, and when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. So first notice we have a, a change in setting. A quick parenthesis, I told you before at the beginning of this series that Mark does not write chronologically. Here is an example. He is alone with the disciples. But the next three parables that come immediately after the explanation, he's back speaking to the crowd on the boat. So this is not in chronological order, but it's put together for a point. All right, close that parenthesis. The change in setting. He, he has left the crowd in the shoreline. He's alone with the twelve and the other disciples. Now, the, the same Greek word that identifies the twelve and the, and the disciples uh, and those around them, we read as, yeah, that we read as those around him, is the same Greek phrase that identifies those that Jesus called his brothers and sisters back in chapter 3 that we read last week. Look at uh, Mark 3, verses 34 and 35. And looking about those, at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my mother and brother and sister. So that means that Jesus is speaking to, in, in verse 10, in our passage, he is speaking to those that do the will of the Father. Okay, let's read what he says in verse 11. He said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. In verse 11, you see there are two audiences, right? There are insiders and there are outsiders. To you have been given. To those outside. Outsiders receive Jesus' teachings in parables. Insiders receive the explanation. You have two groups. The secret, the mystery, has been given to those that do the will of the Father. Just like well, back in chapter 3 in our passage today, 
doing the will of the Father is being equated with listening. Listening is separating the insiders from the outsiders. And he says to those, the insiders, those that listen, and because of their listening, he says to them, to you have been given the secret of the kingdom of God. So the point is this. The meaning of the parable, the secret of the kingdom of God, is a gift. And it is a gift that is given through listening. Again. But this is the main point of our sandwich. All right, listen, this is the main point of the sandwich. The knowledge of God cannot be gained through human achievement. The knowledge of God cannot be gained through human achievement. These things are gifts. Study and intelligence and merit and ability They can never reveal the mysteries of God to you. God Himself reveals Himself and His kingdom as a gift, as a grace, and He gives it to those He chooses to give it to. And God reveals all of this to the disciples precisely because they are hearers. So the Word of Christ is a razor, and it divides those that hear it and those that don't hear it. And they are separated into outsiders and insiders. Outsiders hear, yet they do not hear. They do not understand. They are not changed. Insiders hear, and hearing produces the desire to do the will of God and fellowship with Him. Hearing produces Hearing the Word produces dependency on God, and they bear much fruit. You can say they hear in faith. The difference between lost seed and fruitful seed depends on hearing in faith. And then we come to verse 12, to a very difficult passage. And many have considered the ideas that that are birthed out of verse 12. And they say that God is cruel and unfair. Verse 12 says, So that they may indeed see, but not perceive. That they may indeed hear, but not understand. Lest they should turn and be forgiven. I want to read to you the verses that Jesus is quoting from in their entirety, from Isaiah 6, verses 9 and 10. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy, and and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. God is sending Isaiah to a people that will not understand and will not repent. Jesus proclaims parables to people that will not understand and will not repent. In both cases, God does not grant understanding. 
And in fact, it seems as if God is working against their understanding. That he is purposefully deafening their ears. And yet, both groups, all people, are responsible for seeing and for hearing. Now, this is a very challenging tension. So I have a parenthesis, a long parenthesis here to address this difficult tension because when I read verse 12, I get stuck. It sounds hard. Our trouble is highlighted by one simple question. If God deafens the ears of the hearer, how can anybody be responsible for not hearing? And we come to that age-old collision of the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. (laughs) Now, as long as the church has existed, it has struggled with this question. So I'm not going to stand here and tell you that I've got all of the answers. But um, I will use the word as best as I'm able and as much as the Spirit can guide me to bring some clarity to it. No matter what, though, there's mystery in the end. So all I can say is that God is completely and fully sovereign. He is sovereign over the atoms inside the furthest star at the end of a galaxy. He is sovereign over the events of churches in Texas. He is sovereign over the state of your very heart. God is fully sovereign. And paradoxically, you are responsible for the state of your own heart. Every person is born with a heart that is in opposition to the will of God due to the fall. So with every lust, with every lie, with every indifferent attitude and prideful act, each and every person chooses to live in opposition to God. So you're born in opposition to God, and then with your sins, you choose that opposition. You are culpable. Therefore, every single person is born deserving of hell and then they choose the path that leads to hell. They willfully walk into the abyss. The notion that you have free will is a little bit misunderstood. Outside of Jesus, the only free will that we have is the ability to choose evil. Romans 3, verses 10 through 12, famous passage says, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. What people call free will is bondage to wickedness. They cannot even choose to do good. They don't choose to do good. Outside of Christ, no one does good. So we are born with these unrepentant hard hearts, and hard hearts can only produce wickedness. Romans 1, 28 and 29a says, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. So those with hard hearts 
they have seen fit not to acknowledge God in their activities and in their mindsets. And so God has turned them over to their hard hearts where he has blinded their eyes. You see that? He has darkened their hearts. Because their hearts were dark, he has darkened their hearts. And it is what your wickedness deserves. It is what your sinfulness purchases. Outsiders who are not with Jesus are confirmed in their disbelief when God deafens their ears. If you were here last week, you should see a strong correlation by now. A strong correlation to the unforgivable sin of unrepentance. And if you missed last week, I encourage you to go listen to that sermon if you can. You can get a CD or you can go online. Um, It might bring some clarity to that idea. So on the flip side is the ability to hear. We don't want to leave in darkness. So as I said before, God creates the harvest once the word is heard and received. Also, God is the one who gives the ability to hear. Because no one seeks God, no one has the natural ability to hear. I said that those uh, represented by the good soil, they hear in faith. Because of their faith, the word is received. But I have quoted from Romans 10, 17, a dozen times standing from the stage. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Do you see a tension here? Your ability to hear is because of faith. But your faith comes by hearing. So faith and the ability to hear are both gifts of God. Listen to 1 Thessalonians 1.4. I love this passage. For we know, brothers loved by God, that He has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. If you have heard the word and received it, It means that God has chosen you. And he has chosen to give you the gift of faith, both to hear and to receive what you hear. And then, if you are chosen by God, if you receive the word, then he produces in you a stunning harvest that is beyond the natural order. So if you hear the words and they are precious to you, God has chosen you. And he's chosen to share himself with you for all eternity. You are his beloved child. You have been brought into the family and he has seated you with Christ in the heavenly places. Should that not lead us to worship? Why has God chosen you? I don't know. I don't know why He's chosen me, but He has. He's seen fit to choose me and to choose you. If you receive the word, praise God. Praise God. So 
So Jesus, in saying these things, in saying verses 11 and 12, he is not afraid of this difficult tension. We should not be afraid of the difficulty of the tension. And let me just say this. To say that this is too hard to understand and I don't want to deal with these things, with the collision of the sovereignty of God and the free will of men, is to be like the soil that falls in the rocks with shallow soil. When the sun comes out, you get scorched and you die. God is sovereign, and he can harden a heart, and he can sovereign a heart. And yet you are responsible for the state of your heart. These both exist. Exactly how they work out is one of those things that God has just not revealed. And it is a mystery. And we have to be okay with that. And if we could explain all the workings of God, what kind of God would he be? Verse 13. He said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? All right, that parenthesis had just closed before I read the verse. <laughs> so with these questions about how will you understand the parable, or do you not yet understand the parable? He's, we're coming to the end, or to the other end of the sandwich. The implication of his questions should shock his listeners into attention. If you do not understand this parable, how will you understand any of his parables? So what is it about this parable that makes it so important for understanding all of the other parables? Because it is about the godness of Jesus and discipleship. The initial telling of the parable, the first part of the sandwich, He's talking to the parable, he's telling the parable to the crowds, to the outsiders, and it is about himself. It is about the sower and how through his word and his word alone, there will be a harvest. Through the parable, Jesus is revealing that he is sovereign. He chooses where to sow and how it will be received. And he is revealing, so he is revealing that he is divine. That only he can produce this supernatural harvest. The first part of the sandwich. The explanation, the last part of the sandwich, is about discipleship now. The focus goes from the sowing of the seed now to how a person receives it or how they hear it. Discipleship. So the last part of the sandwich is about how discipleship hangs on hearing. Everything depends on how you receive the word of Christ. Disciples, insiders, the good soil are the ones that hear, who receive the secrets of the kingdom of God. If you do not understand that Jesus is God, if you do not understand that he produces the harvest and that you must listen to his words if you want to be a disciple, if you don't understand those things, how are you going to understand any of his parables? Verse 14, the sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And when they have no root in themselves but endure for a while, 
Then tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, and immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. Look at hearing a little closer. Three types of soil that produce no fruit. The compact soil of the path, the rocky soil, the thorny soil. All three hear the word. In all three, there is no lasting effect. When Mark is writing about hearing in relationship to these three, three soils, get a little technical, he's writing in the aorist sense which probably means nothing to you. It didn't to me. But it means that the way that he's writing, the way that he's using the verb hearing, he's using it in a simple and final way, in a simple and final context. Or or in other words, people represented by these three soils hear superficially. This is careless and inattentive hearing. It is hearing but not hearing. So the seed that falls in the path is like somebody that hears the word, it goes in one ear and out the other. Satan snatches it away immediately. And so you could be sitting here right now, not paying attention. You might be thinking what is for dinner, or your schedule this coming week, or a test that you have to study for, and this is you not hearing. This is Satan snatching the word of God away from you. And you would be like the compact soil of the path. The seed that falls on the rocky soil is like those that hear the word and they seem to take to it. It might even look like they have a dramatic conversion. But when, as somebody that I dearly love, happened to him, when divorce happens, or they lose a loved one, or struggling and suffering greet them, or persecution threatens the comfort of their life. They abandon their hope in the word for something else. You have received the word so long as as the world treats you well, so long as life is comfortable. But if it gets hard, and it will get hard for every single person, the heat of the trial scorches away the word of Christ in you, and you are the rocky soil. And the seed that falls in the thorny soil might grow tall and impressive, and many of these people are in churches, but gradually and often subtly at first, its life is choked when the love of things strangles the word of Christ. So the thorns that strangle, the weeds that strangle are bank accounts that offer security and comfort. They are luxuries that ease life. They are entertainments. They are the applause of men. And on and on we could go. You've heard the word, but the things of the world prove to be a greater priority to you. You are the thorny soil. 
And now when Mark is writing about the good soil, his verb tense changes. He begins to use the present tense when he's writing about the soil. And so that indicates that it's no longer a superficial hearing, but it's continual and ongoing. It's an enduring type of hearing, meaning those represented by the the good soil, when they hear, the word becomes a part of them. It's like they hear it one time, but they go on hearing it. It's resonating in their life. The word changes them, and they are shaped by it. They live the word they hear. It becomes them. These are the insiders. These are the disciples of Christ. They have received the word and been transformed by it in thought and in action. Their hearts have softened by the word, and they are now hearers and doers of the word. They hear the word as valuable. They hang on every word of God. More precious than gold. Sweeter than the drippings from the honeycomb. That was the first sermon I preached here as your pastor. No amount of suffering or hardship would cause them to abandon the word. They consider nothing in this world as more valuable than the word of Christ. It doesn't mean that they are doers of the word perfectly. Not at all. Remember, this is a gift of God. He has given you the ability to desire the word of God, to hear it and be changed by it. Yet, you still need to be careful how you listen. You need to be careful how you hear the word. Prepare yourself to receive the word. Position your heart to depend on Christ when you hear the word. Approach the Bible and approach Sunday morning as if you're being presented with gold nuggets, as if you're being presented with eternal things. As if you're going to hear from the infinite, ultimate, sovereign God, creator of the universe. So remove distractions from your life that might pluck the seed away from you. And then after you have listened or read, meditate on those words. Pray about what you have heard. Ask God that he would give you the understanding and ask him to change you according to the word. Seek to make the word you have heard a priority over what is on TV or what repairs your house needs, whatever else. Seek to hide the word in your heart and to live and do all that the Word requires of you. Depend on God for this. All the while, while you do that, He is going to be producing in you a harvest without compare. So if you, have, or if you value His Word like this, He will remain faithful to produce that harvest in you to produce an unnatural, supernatural harvest in you. And it does not mean, it does not mean simply that you must be out there knocking on doors and bringing in loads of converts. It can mean that. But bearing much fruit means that the Word has an effect on your life and it changes you. Bearing fruit 
means that anywhere in your life that the word has an effect, a place where is a place where the supernatural harvest is being produced. So depending on God for understanding his word, reading and loving the word, hearing the word and being changed by it, speaking the word to those around you, loving, compelled by the word, trusting in Jesus because of his word. These are the fruits of the harvest. And if you hear and receive the word like this, you're a disciple. You are an insider. You are the good soil. God has chosen you. And then therefore, this parable is both a informative, it's both informative and a caution. Warning, you're going to experience difficulty, even persecution. And the temptations of the world are going to constantly bombard you. But be informed, still, God is producing a harvest, an abundant harvest. Christ goes on sowing, but now you are the hands that are sowing. So you too must go out and sow the word. You too must know the frustration of sowing where the word is not received, where a harvest seems impossible. But when, God, but, but when the seed that God sows through you hits that good soil, prepare to be amazed by the supernatural work of God because he is supernaturally producing a harvest in you and through you. Christ is no longer walking the earth and speaking. Christ instead has chosen to walk the earth and speak through you and to cast seed by your hand. If you are the good soil, you may not be able to see or, or even recognize the harvest that your life produces, which is a mercy to us, honestly, lest we think too much of ourselves. But there will be a day that God will show you the full impact of your life. There will be a day where he reveals what the word has produced in and through you. And you will marvel at the mighty hand of God that he has seen fit to produce a harvest in you, in me. So if you are an outsider, if you have chosen not to hear these words, which proves that God is deaf in your ears, then cry out to God that you would hear. Ask Him to reveal the secrets of His kingdom to you. Today is the day of salvation. Do not harden your heart. And if you are an insider, if you have come to Christ to listen, then God has given you the ability to listen. And he has given you the secrets of the kingdom of God. To you have been granted the fellowship with Jesus Christ. And he's made you his disciple. This is a point of worship. That he would choose us and bring us into fellowship, like I said a few weeks ago, into the fellowship of community of the Trinity. But take care how you listen. 
Take care how you listen. He who has ears, let him hear. Father, we cannot hear outside of you. We are born deaf. So give us ears that hear. Give us a heart that is changed. God, we can't do this work. We cannot produce a harvest. But you can. Would you use us for that, Father? Would you use your word in us to change us into the image of Christ, to be lovers of your word, to love like Christ loved, to speak your word, your gospel, Christ's name to people around us freely and with confidence. That our lives might see a 30 or 60 or 100 fold return for your glory and your namesake. That in the end, we would hear those great words, well done, good and faithful servant. Use us, Father, for this. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Ask the worship team to come forward.